This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 222, Habits, part two. I'm Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, sharing, and subscribing. Adam Shanks, host of the Preach Impediments podcast, is also the author of In God We Trust, an excellent book on money management. You can find it at Adam's website, EdenHollow.com. In this segment, Adam and Reagan McClenney, who preaches for the Church of Christ in Lufkin, Texas, discuss with me the importance of properly managing our money and what our failure to do so says about our faith. I read a great book on financial habits this year, In God We Trust, by my guest, Adam Shanks. Throughout the book, covering topics from basic budgeting to life insurance to mutual funds, the book emphasizes personal accountability self-discipline, and reasonable expectations. It's a lot harder of a process than sitting on your couch, ordering things off Amazon left and right, and hoping that somehow it'll all turn out okay. But the hard way is a lot more likely to get you where you want to be. Why do you think we struggle so much with financial matters? And how important is it that we get our financial house in order? I don't think we struggle any more with financial matters than we do with any other matters. I think financial matters are quicker to show their results and maybe a little more bluntly show their results. The same person who's undisciplined in finances is probably also undisciplined in their diet. It just takes a lot of years to make changes on your body shape, whereas it doesn't take long to deplete a bank account. And and I think that that's probably oftentimes why financial matters will get more attention when you got bad habits. Well, and to the second part of the question, how, how important is it to get our financial house in order? I think, again, it comes back to, I'm beating the same drum here, but it comes back to a transformation in our attitude toward money, our heart toward those things. And our financial house being in order should be a reflection of what our attitude is toward financial things, toward money specifically. And I think that's really telling when we think about the New Testament teaching on money. Uh, If you want to know how to manage your money and manage your money well, go to the wisdom literature, right? There's all kinds of wisdom there that has been borrowed and stolen by modern people in a non-religious context. And so Solomon gives us all this wisdom on how to manage our money, but Jesus doesn't really do any of that. What Jesus does is he talks about our attitude toward money and how money and how we manage it is a reflection of of other things in our life. You think about the gospel of Luke, especially Jesus used financial terms a ton, but it was always kind of with a connection towards spiritual things. And to me, the passage that I immediately thought of when I read your question was Luke chapter 16. Uh, in verse 10, where Jesus is talking about unrighteous mammon and the unjust steward and all of those sorts of things. But he makes application in verse 10, uh, which he didn't do back there in Matthew 12. So I'm grateful for his explanation of the things that he says. Jesus says, verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So the way we handle our money is in some ways a reflection on how we're going to handle the other more important spiritual disciplines in our life. My dad is a retired school superintendent. He's actually preaching full-time now, um, but he was uh, in the school business for a lot of years. And he, he would always say, uh, do you know what the difference is between a big district and a small district in terms of the budget, in terms of the finances of the district? And he would say, it's just the number of zeros because the tax laws are the same and the budget items are the same and all of those sorts of components to school finance, are, they're all exactly the same. But in a big district, you have more zeros than you do in a little district. And so I think that's kind of the attitude we should have in regard to our physical material blessings is this is a small thing in comparison to so many spiritual matters. But the way we deal with that is a reflection of how we're going to deal with more important things. And, and that seems to be the way Jesus viewed things from a financial perspective. This probably goes back to our first discussion with the idea of the heart and transformation and those types of things. Our habits are often a reflection of the results we're looking for, the results that matter to us most. You can relate this to any category of habits that we tend to talk about, whether that be exercise, eating. I know that I need to lose my goal this year since I'm 43 was I'm going to lose 43 pounds. Okay. So that's, that's kind of my goal that I made for myself this year. I know because of the actions that I take, how seriously I really want to achieve the losing of 43 pounds. Because I can tell when I grab that double-sized dessert that for me, at the moment, the double-sized dessert is more important than the 43 pounds. Or I know whenever I sit on the couch and I'm ordering things off Amazon, as you mentioned earlier, getting that thing in the mail is more important to me than leaving the money in the bank. Our decisions that we make directly reflect what value we're seeking. Uh, if we're talking financially, I know that my retirement that's coming in, let's say, 20 years from now, that I am by no means anywhere near where I need to be in order for that retirement to happen uh, the way that I know should happen. And I know I know it because I wrote it in the book. You know, I, I know exactly what should be taking place, whether that is taking place or not, is a direct reflection as to whether I consider that valuable enough or not. And so when it comes to a man or a woman sitting down and looking at pornography, the joy they receive from looking at things they shouldn't look at is at that moment more valuable to them than the relationship they, they want to have with God. Or making that rude comment to your spouse, the joy you get from speaking out of turn is more, is more important to you at that moment than the relation, the long-term relationship that you are preserving with your spouse. There, there is a direct value to decision parallel or ratio there that I think we need to be honest with because that's what I think we fool ourselves about. 
we lie to ourselves by saying something is important to us, when in reality, our decisions make it very obvious that those things aren't actually important to us, at least at the moment. At that moment, we have let something become more valuable to us than the thing that should be valuable to us. But see, Adam, I think that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head about why habit formation is so vitally important because all sin is irrational. And most bad decisions, whether they're sinful or not, are irrational. You know, it is not a rational thing for me to sit there and buy a ton of things on Amazon when I know I don't have that money in the bank account. That is not a rational thing. And so what habit formation does for us is it puts us, puts the decision making in a rational time in, in our mind, right? So if I've made this decision ahead of time through habit formation, then I am able to make those decisions that align with what I truly value instead of allowing the feeling of the moment to trump what I have said in my heart and what might actually be the reality of what I value the most. It's in the moment that we lose our heads, that we lose our rationality. Uh, It is when we've formed the decisions and the habit to enforce those decisions ahead of time that we can truly make decisions that align with what our values really are. So I'm going to go real nerdy on you real quick, if if that's okay. Um, Have you read uh, The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis? Okay, so that is that needs to come before Atomic Habits. I, I just, uh, <laughs> just just put things in priority here. So essentially, C.S. Lewis in that book takes the same idea that Plato teaches back from you know the time before Jesus. We have a struggle within ourselves between the head and the belly, and the way that described is the head is your your reasoning, your rational thought, it's the it's the logic behind things. And then the belly is the passion, it's the emotion, it's it's making those decisions at the moment based on what you want the most at the moment. And we're constantly in this battle between the head and the belly. And you see that with, with finances. My head says save money, retirement's coming in 20 years. My belly says I really want this thing that I just saw on Amazon that I cannot live without, which is right. Honestly, I'm not going to be able to decide as a person whether my head or my belly is more right at the moment. The only way for there to truly be a right is for there to be a tiebreaker of sorts. And the tiebreaker, according to Lewis and Plato, is the chest, what they call the chest which is this sense of greater purpose, this sense of something that's more important than us, you know, having this this kind of spiritual guide to the head and the belly. And so whenever the head needs to make, you know, whenever we're trying to make a decision, we need to make it through the chest more than anything else. I'm probably explaining that very poorly, but that that's the basic idea. Honestly, I think we sell ourselves short when we try to make a decision between the reason or the the passion. And we struggle because one of those tends to outweigh the other depending on whatever the decision is. And when you go ask other people, they try to explain to you one way or the other. 
Uh, I find a good deal on a guitar, a, a $3,000 value guitar for sale for $500. But I don't have $500 to spend on the guitar. If I ask a fellow guitar lover, what is that guitar lover going to tell me? Buy it. Buy it. It's a great deal. You need to make sure you buy that. Make sure that you, you, you know, that you, you can't pass up on a deal like that. That's just logical, right? Or if I ask my wife, who doesn't want me to spend the money because she knows we need the money to buy clothes for the kids. What's she going to tell me? No, don't buy it. Okay. My passion tells me to buy it. My friend over here tells me to buy it. Logically, it makes sense to buy it. None of that helps me make the right decision. My head and my belly very often are deceitful. And that's why the Bible makes comments like in Jeremiah 17, that the heart is more deceitful than all else. Who can understand it? We can't because our heart, doesn't, you know, our, our heads and our belly do not make good decisions. We have to have something bigger than us make those decisions, even on the practical daily things. Uh, practically and daily, you know what the scriptures say? If I'm not taking care of my family, then I'm worse than an unbeliever. That's what scripture says over in 1 Timothy 5. So that's my decision in that case. I don't have the money to spend on a guitar. I need the money to take care of my family. Why would I spend the money in a way that is not God-honoring? I, I keep coming back to the, the idea of self-control. It, it seems like what we're all kind of circling around here is that self-control Self-control is the key from getting from one habit to another habit. When I am in the habit of doing the bad thing, that doesn't fix itself. But I know this other thing is better. So I'm going to restrain myself consciously. I'm going to exercise self-control. And eventually, I make the right decision enough times where the right decision becomes the new habit. And then self-control isn't rendered useless, of course, at that point, because there's always going to be a struggle, but it's not as conscious as it used to be. Now my instinct is to do the good thing instead of to do the bad thing. Would that be a fair assessment? I would push back on that a little bit, maybe, in terms of what we think of as self-control. When we talk about habit formation specifically, what we're doing is we're trying to get ourselves in a position where self-control is much easier because I have established boundaries and habits that allow me to control myself instead of it being every moment is I just have to summon up uh, the right perspective and willpower in order to make the right decision. I have framed my, my day and my life in such a way that many of those decisions have already been made for me in a time when I was more rational. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's it's not, well, I've got to, you know, I've got to make the decision not to do this over and over and over and over and summon up that that willpower to do that. No, self-control is, well, I've arranged my life in such a way that that decision has already been made. I think about the way of escape a lot, that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I talk with young people a ton about this, that the way of escape oftentimes is three or four steps removed from the actual sin. That the way of escape is what boundaries and habits I've established in my life ahead of time 
that keep me from uh, the thing that I don't want to be doing. So obviously willpower is part of self-control, but self-control a lot of times is found in establishing good habits that allow me to control myself because I've insulated my life from the opportunities to make all of those bad decisions in the moment. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So the passage that I tend to think about whenever you talk about self-control and this idea of kind of building on what Reagan's talking about is the passage in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. There are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. We tend to, in our world, we, we define narrow as a negative thing. You know, you are narrow-minded. Uh, that, that's a negative thing. God is narrow-minded. We don't typically describe God that way, but he's narrow-minded for a reason. God pursues what is right. And if it is right, that necessitates that all the other ways are wrong. And if God is pursuing and teaching and prompting us to also pursue the right way, he is in that regard eliminating all the wrong ways, which creates a narrow life for you and I. We are given a narrow way. God takes the hundred of choices we could make and makes it one, which makes life a lot simpler which is wonderful. It makes life a lot more clear. Like we have a very clear idea of which direction we're supposed to go. And that narrow way uh, is, is the only way. I mean, that, that, that's kind of the, the point of, of New Testament Christian living is that he narrows the way down for us. You know, we tend to think of self-control as, okay, well, there, there's, uh, 20 different things I should, I could do, but I'm going to control myself to do this one thing. And, and, uh, and it becomes one of you know, the best of, of several options. And I don't know that that's always the case. I, I think the point is because we have trained our hearts to pursue the right way of God, that has, because of it, eliminated all the other options. Amen. My job is not to just control my behavior. My job is to develop a heart that seeks the one narrow right way of God. And if I can, if that's my primary goal to do it God's way, that becomes a lot less self-control and a lot more godliness. And so maybe that's the, uh, the development side of second Peter one you know, to faith, you know, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, but then it's perseverance and godliness. We should always be applying self-control, but just that idea of developing that sense of godliness, I'm pursuing the things of God. That has to be the goal. The way I've expressed this oftentimes is when we know our purpose as a Christian, it simplifies our life by elimination. It eliminates so many of the choices that people have in life. Well, I know all of these choices are wrong or sinful or unwise, and I may still have some choices that I have to make, but most of those choices have already been made for me. And bringing that back to the financial things that we started with when this question began, what's the purpose of a budget? 
a budget is there so that when I'm in the right, when I'm valuing the right things, when I have the right perspective, when my orientation is on the future instead of just the moment and the present, I make a budget so that I can make the right decision ahead of time. It narrows that way for me to where I still have some decisions and self-control that I have to show. But if I have already budgeted and say, well, I have this much money to spend in the moment when I say, well, I'm out of money for that, I I still have to have some self-control, but the decision has already been made, which makes that self-control so much easier. So budgeting is just one form of a habit, right? Right. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please rate, review, and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also, check out the Hal Hammonds channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, signing off.